Hello and welcome to another episode of Future of Tax, the KPMG podcast series for tax leaders. For today's episode, we'll discuss international investment agreements in connection to the climate change debate, the Energy Charter Treaty and their related tax considerations. For this episode, I'm pleased to pass the reins over to Grant Waddle-Johnson to lead our discussion and interview Hugh Salome from KPMG Switzerland. The two will dive deep into these topics and address a number of the questions you and your businesses may have. And with that, over to you, Grant. Thanks for that introduction. I'm Grant Waddle-Johnson. I'm Global Tax Policy Leader. And it's a pleasure of mine to be interviewing today Hugh Salome, who's a partner in our Swiss practice. Hugh, today we're going to speak about international investment agreements and their interaction with the climate change debate. Now, I know this has been debated for many years, but this summer an agreement in principle has been reached to make the Energy Charter Treaty more in line with states' commitments on climate change. Hugh, can you explain what this is all about? Let me start by explaining what the Energy Treaty, the ECT, is about. The, the ECT was adopted in '94. It is a multilateral treaty which groups 54 jurisdictions. Uh, this treaty addresses a number of issues in the area of energy as regards notably trade and investment protection. And concerning the protection of investments, the ECT provides, for example, that a national of a contracting state who makes an investment in another contracting state shall not be expropriated, that it should be treated fairly and should be entitled to benefit from the profits generated from its investments. And on that basis, investors have, for example, challenged measures taken by states against them, such as changes in feeding tariffs or the termination of concessions or the prohibition to carry out certain type of activities. And like most other investment treaties, the ECT entitles investors to claim financial compensation for the decrease in value of their investments resulting from these measures. And also, and, and that is something that gives lots of comfort to investors, to litigate before a panel of arbitrators instead of local courts. But as you may imagine, uh, this can hinder the implementation of measures aiming at protect protecting the environment. Uh, just as an example, in January last year, a German group who invested in a coal-fired power plant in the Netherlands filed a request for arbitration as a result of the Dutch government's decision to ban the burning of coal for electricity generation by 2030. To give you an idea, the payment for damages was estimated at 1.4 billion euro. So if the Netherlands would lose the case, this would mean a very serious bill. So Hugh, it can be very, very large sums of money here. So in essence, what do the proposed changes consist of, Hugh? Uh, well, there was, for example, uncertainty with regards to whether or not certain types of renewable energy, such as hydrogen, was in the scope of the ECT or not. Uh, this is something that the new provisions clarify uh, in the sense that they expressly say that it is in scope. Um, contracting parties will also have the option to exclude protection for investments in fossil energy. And the UK, as well as the EU, have already announced that they would exercise this option. A number of other changes were agreed upon. Some of them aim, for instance, at restricting nationality planning by excluding, for example, so-called round-tripping structures. These are structures where a national of a state makes an investment in that same state through a company located in another contracting state. Uh, 
And also the arbitration procedure will not apply anymore to intra-EU disputes. So disputes involving a national of one EU member state in relation to an investment made in another member state. And that is related to a decision rendered in 2018 by the European Court of Justice. Now, in terms of timing, the proposed changes will be submitted for adoption uh, at the next Energy Charter Conference on the 22nd of November this year. Can we expect that the amended provisions of the Energy Charter Treaty will enter into force anytime soon? Well, that is a very good question. Unfortunately, that will probably not be the case, and there are various reasons for this. First of all, the adoption of the new provisions at the conference on the 22nd of November requires the unanimous vote of the parties present at the conference. And also these provisions will come into force only once three quarters of the contracting parties will have ratified them and only among those parties that will have ratified. So this may take a few years. In addition to this, several EU member states recently announced their intention to exit the ECT. That is, for, for instance, the case of France, of the Netherlands, Poland and Spain, and others may possibly follow. One concern raised by these states was the risk that the new provisions would not enter into force before many years or, or maybe even not at all. So, so these countries are of the opinion that exiting the treaty is the only way to effectively satisfy their commitments towards climate change. In parallel, the European Commission submitted to the Member States a proposition to avoid the application of the so-called survival clause in relation to intra-EU investments. Uh, the issue with this clause is that it says that if a state departs from the ECT, existing investments shall be protected for an additional 20 years. And that, obviously, is a problem in relation to climate change ambitions. Are there other similar treaties in, in place that deal with the same topic areas? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, of course. There are plenty of them, actually. It's about like uh, double taxation treaties. Uh, there are currently more than 3,000 international treaties in the area of investment protection, so what we call international investment agreements. Most of them are bilateral. A few of them are, are multilateral, like the Investment uh, Energy Charter Treaty. The scope of these treaties is generally quite broad and, and goes far beyond uh, the energy sector. And also the majority of these agreements uh, were concluded uh, in the 90s and prior to 2009, and they often grant a, a very significant level of protection to investors. And uh, that is actually one of the reasons why some countries, such as India or South Africa, decided to terminate most of their investments, international investment agreements, because they considered that they imposed too many restrictions on the introduction introduction of new legislation. Now, coming back maybe to um, climate change, discussions are also going on at the level of uh, international organizations to make bilateral investment treaties more in line with climate commitments taken by states. Uh, but obviously, because these agreements are bilateral, the implementation of any changes in that area, in my view, is likely to take more time than for the Energy Charter Treaty. Hugh, is this something that corporations and indeed individuals take into consideration when making new investments, or does it fly a bit under the radar here? That's a very good question. Well, some corporations or, or private investors are very aware of this, and they would take investment treaties into consideration when structuring the ownership of, of their investments. Now, may, many of them are, are not aware. They, they, 
most of the time, from my experience, they would be aware of the risks that they incur, but sometimes they're not even aware that they can be protected from the occurrence of these risks on the basis of investment treaties. And, and the thing is that, as a matter of fact, how you structure the ownership of an investment can have a very direct impact on whether or not you would be entitled to claim the application of an investment treaty when things turn wrong. So it's a bit like in the area of, uh, of taxation. And I, I think in, in today's world, I think that this is something that investors should seriously take into consideration. Because while there are fantastic investment opportunities around and, and because states will be keen on attracting foreign investments, uh, like in the area of energy, states also suffer from increasing financial pressures resulting from higher budget deficits. So there is also a risk that some of these states introduce measures that can affect the value of investments and, and therefore the risks. Are, I mean, there are lots of opportunities, but also, in my view, higher risks nowadays. And, and in the area of, renew, of, of uh, renewable investments in renewable energy, you can think, for example, of the decision to, to challenge agreements on feed tariffs, which were taken uh, in Spain some years ago. But Hugh, how do tax issues fit with this investment treaty framework and proposed changes to the ECT? Well, in principle, tax measures uh, do not fall directly in the scope of investment treaties, but they can still be challenged on the basis of investment treaties when, for example, the amount to expropriation or when a tax measure is regarded as discriminatory in nature. And, and this is why sometimes tax practitioners and academics are called as expert witnesses uh, by arbitration tribunals. But where there is also an interesting link between taxation and investment treaties is uh, in relation to the fact that some of the anti-abuse measures which were developed in the framework of the, the so-called BEPS project uh, in the field of taxation, such as the principal purpose test rule, also have a relatively direct impact in the area of investment treaties in the sense that they contribute to reducing the scope of nationality planning. Interestingly also, the, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development for quite a few years has been fostering a closer dialogue and increased collaboration among policymakers in the area of taxation and investment protection. And, and also on that point, even if it deals only with tax matters, it's interesting to observe that the preamble on the draft shell directive provides that EU companies which lack an appropriate level of substance should not be entitled to benefit from uh, investment agreements. So if I think of our activities, as far as consulting is concerned, I believe that investment structuring should be addressed truly from a holistic perspective. And typically tax and investment treaty issues should be addressed in parallel and at an early stage. Uh, and I think that this is really the best way to ensure that legal arrangements and structures implemented will be recognized by tax authorities and uh, tribunals. So in addition to the IIAs and the principal purpose test, which you mentioned, and the EU Unshell Initiative, I suppose now we've got pillar two to worry about as well. How does that fit within this scope or framework? Well, as a result of pillar two, some states may or will be compelled to amends to revisit or to challenge stabilization clauses or tax holidays which they have agreed upon with foreign investors. And despite the fact that they will be compelled to do so on the basis of their commitment taken 
uh, within Pillar 2, these measures could possibly infringe uh, the provision of uh, investment uh, investment treaties. So, so, so this is clearly something to 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 monitor, of course, and to 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 look at from the perspective of the investment treaties in place. So pillar two, which of course is the global minimum tax of 15%, needs yeah. to be considered as well. So what is KMG doing in this whole field, Hugh? Well, to answer an increasing number of requests from our clients, what we did is we, we, we formed an international group of tax practitioners who are familiar with investment treaties and of investment lawyers who are exposed to taxation issues. Again, because we, we thought that this was necessary to effectively advise clients ahead of making investments and from different perspectives. So this is more for the advisory part in the context of investment treaty disputes. Uh, so when cases are brought before tribunals, uh, some of our colleagues also operate as expert witnesses on questions pertaining to valuation, for example, to assess the extent of the damage or also on uh, specific tax matters. Hugh Salome, thanks very much. This is a really important topic, particularly in light of the ESG framework and the need to reduce carbon globally. And look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you, Grant. Thanks very much, Hugh. Grant, on behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you and Hugh for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a fascinating discussion. Please join us again next time and also email us with any questions you have about today's episode at tax at kpmg.com. We'd also love to hear from you with any suggestions you have for future episodes. Thanks for listening.